Aloha, everybody. Welcome to Christ-Centered Community Church. Today, we continue with our series, Conquering Giants. And I would love to introduce Pastor Don Horner. He brings the message today. It is amazing when you apply the Word of God in all areas of our life, what God can do. A few months later, I asked Don, would you like to teach the Word of God in our church? And he first said, no way, no way. But then he prayed and God called him to do that. And he started teaching our midweek service. There's so many people that have been blessed by Don's ministry because his passion is to make sure that we, all of us, love the Word of God. Then we learn how to not just read it and study it, but also to apply it. I would love for all of us, as we prepare our hearts to listen to the message today, Get ready to be blessed, and let's welcome Pastor Don Horner. Thank you, church family. Thank you, thank you. Can you, can you hear me? Is this okay? Well, as Pastor Fernando said, <clears throat> well, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Lord, first we just praise your name. Thank you for bringing us here to get, today to learn your word. Help this teacher get out of the way and your spirit do the teaching about how to live a life, a life that you designed for us, a life full of peace, full of purpose, and full of joy. We give you the glory, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Well, thank you for being here. I know it's football Sunday and a lot going on, so you made the right choice. Pastor Fernando began this series, Conquering Giants. Well, I'm here before you trying to conquer a giant to some degree. As he told you, there's some real reluctance on my part because there's a difference between a teacher and a preacher. I enjoy teaching, but the problem with being a preacher, a preacher has to be a teacher and a preacher, and a preacher has to have a personality. Ah, that's not me. You'll find out in a few moments that I'm, I'm a nerd and it ain't going to change. So they gave me the nerd assignment about the Word of God, which is kind of good. That's good. In fact, what we're going to dig into is David's life. What Pastor Fernando taught us last week was there was something special about David. He had a degree of confidence a spiritual maturity that we all aspire for. So what can we learn about David's character and life that can help us be more like David? We need to dig a bit deeper. Let's begin with a definition. If we could put it on the board, great. A giant is anything or anyone that takes away what God wants for you. Our peace our purpose, our joy. That's a giant. God didn't promise we'll win all battles. What he promised was this, that we'll have peace, purpose, and joy. Let's dig into those words because words matter. And what I find too often, we just read the words, but we really don't understand the word because we haven't dug deeper. The word peace, of course, means the absence of war, but in the Hebrew, it means much more. It's much richer than that. Peace means to be complete, to be whole, to be sound, to be secure. It means that our soul is healthy. 
it's in a good place. We're in a good place spiritually. We are rooted in Christ Jesus and we're rooted in his word. We have security in that. That's where David was. It's called, we're rooted in doctrine, sound doctrine. The question I have for you today and for me, do you have that kind of peace? Is your soul secure? Is it healthy? You know, the Bible teaches that our soul can get parched. How's your soul today? Is it at peace? What's the opposite? We have that, I think. <clears throat> Confusion. Insecurity. This is a fill in the blank. Anxiety. Depression. Fear. These are things. Let's, let's read it from... Fear, anxiety, confusion happen when we look into what? A future without God. Think about that a second. We look at our circumstances and our own resources and project that into the future, but there isn't a God in that future. That's when that angst comes. Remember Peter, when he got out of the boat, he was so on fire because he had his eyes on God, on Jesus. And he was walking on the water. Then what the scripture says, when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. When he looked at his circumstances rather than looking at Christ, he began to sink. He lost his peace, if you will. David saw the future and he saw God in it. Purpose. Purpose is interesting. Purpose is being at the right place heading in the right direction. Right place means we're in God's will. We're right where God wants us to be. And we're heading where he wants us to go. The question for today is, are you in the right place at the right time, heading in the right direction? I can tell you this, you're not here by accident. God's got you here for a reason. You're in the right place. The issue becomes when we go out that door, and I'm, I know I'm standing between you and lunch, so I'm going to be fast, that when we go out that door, are we heading in the right direction? God had, I mean, gave David a GPS. He was invested in the Word to, to a point where he knew where he was and he knew the direction he was heading. We have the book of Psalms, 150 psalms. David is credited with writing over half of those. One of those that he is partially credited with is Psalm 119. Beautiful. It's the longest number of psalms in Scripture. Here's what Psalm 119.105 says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's a GPS. That David had this Scripture on, what's called written on his heart, where he knew where he was going. Long time ago, in the early 70s, before many of you were born, I was a naval officer stationed at Pearl Harbor. This is the, the, the end of the Vietnam War. And we would get orders to go from, from Pearl Harbor to the Gulf of Tonkin, several trips. <clears throat> and it's a distance of 6,100 statutory miles and about 5,300 nautical miles has to do with the curvature of the earth. won't get into the nerdy stuff of that, but the bottom line is it's kind of a long way. And you're not going to believe it, 
But in the early 70s, we still didn't have GPS. From the ancient Hawaiians up until the early 70s, sailors were still navigating by looking to the heavens. Every day, we had to fix our plot along that journey, along that course called a fix. And if we were one degree off, we would miss the country by over 100 miles. The definition of sin is missing the mark. That we're not getting to the place God wants us to go. David looked to the heavens daily. He was a shepherd boy that lived under the stars. He got his bearing and where he was from God. He had a light on his path. Are you confident you're in the right place, heading in the right direction? And when we are, we have peace, fulfillment, contentment. And then the byproduct of peace and purpose is joy. And it's joy from out of this world. Just like scripture says, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace comes from out of this world. Joy comes from out of this world. It's so much different than happiness. The world pursues happiness. And happiness is a function of happenstance. It has to do with the stuff around you that's happening that influences our happiness. That's why the movie stars and the sports figures, all these folks get rich, but yet they're not happy at the end because happiness is temporal. It's insatiable. The more stuff you get, the more stuff you want, and the more it weighs you down. Joy comes from inside. You can be joy in any situation. So David had that joy. Let's look at David a little deeper. Here's what it says in Acts 13.22. God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. What does that mean? What does that look like? David had great success. David had great failure. David was human, flesh and blood. He's involved in murder. He's involved in adultery. David was a good guy and sometimes not a good guy, like everyone else. How can it be that God said he was after my own heart? We're going to dig into this battle, if you will, and understand a bit more about who he was. Let's look on the slide, I think 1724 for Samuel. Frankly, this is so sad, it's almost comical. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. Not one guy in the entire country was willing to face this fellow, except this shepherd boy. I'm a bit of a nerd, so let's get a little more deeper into the situation. Because if you look at Scripture, too often we just read the words on the page of someone talking, so to speak, but we don't know the backstory. We don't know the scenery. We don't understand what happened before, what happened, how it fits in Scripture. It all connects together. And when that happens, it just jumps off the page. We understand it so much better. So let's take a look at this from that perspective. It's the year about 1000 B.C. So it's 1,000 years before Christ. It's a long time. But it was 400 years after the Israelites have come from Egypt to the Promised Land. They've settled along. Let's bring up that map. They've settled in the Promised Land. And so you see Bethlehem and and, uh, Hebron and Jerusalem, they're all set along there. But they've got an enemy on the coastline in those, the Philistines. 
And that enemy is a, 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 a warring tribes. They're actually seafarers, much like Vikings. <clears throat> and they came from Crete and those areas and settled along there. Their mission is basically to kill the guys, take the women and children into slavery. The Israelites are farmers. What makes it worse, these guys are in what's called the, the Iron Age, and they're still in the Bronze Age, meaning that their weaponry is so much better, sharper, stronger, etc. So we got two cultures colliding, and one has the bad guys and, quote-unquote, the good guys. And so they're on those two hills that Pastor Fernando said last week, and there's a valley in between, and you got two combatants on this valley floor, a warrior and a shepherd boy. The Philistines versus the Israelites. <clears throat> Let's take a deeper dive into Goliath. I enjoy getting into the detail. I told you I was nerdy. Goliath, how tall? Scripture says he was six cubits and a span. A cubit is the distance between this finger and this elbow. Jewish arm, 17 and a half inches. Look it up. Span is this finger to this finger. Nine and a half feet tall. David was not even five feet. 120 pounds soaking wet. So, but that, it gets worse. Goliath is the true modern-day Iron Man. He's got this sophisticated bronze helmet. He's got breast armor. He's got legging armor. He's got armor on his arms. And he's got three sophisticated weapons. He has a sword longer than David. An iron sword, razor sharp, that he knows how to use for hand-to-hand combat. But he didn't even need that because he's got a javelin, javelin for air warfare. And he's got this long sword, I mean, a spear. The scripture tells us the head of the spear, iron spear, is razor sharp and weighs about 20 pounds. He's ready for battle. On top of that, he's cheating because he's got another guy in front of him. He's got what's called a shield bearer. With this huge shield that provides air defense against attack who's also a lethal warrior and also carries extra weapons for his boss. That's the, the tank that David's going against. Let's, look at what, let's dig a little bit on, on David's side. What's David got? Not much. Not much. He's got a staff, his staff from being a shepherd boy. He's got a slingshot, a youth slingshot, and he's got five rocks. <laughs> right? He was offered armor. King Saul offered him the armor. The armor's 120 pounds. It weighed more than David did. He said, no, thank you. He offered him his sword. Couldn't even lift it or use it. He didn't know how to use a sword. Pretty pathetic if you look at the circumstances. But we need to go back because David had one thing going for him that you and I do too. Let's go back a bit. Let's go back to Samuel 16.1. I probably messed them up. And, oh, perfect. They're good. They're really good. <clears throat> the Lord said to Samuel. Samuel's who? Samuel's the prophet. Okay? And I love the way the Lord speaks to people. He's, he's kind of cool. Listen to what the Lord says. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. To be king. He didn't give him a lot of explanation. He said, do it. Samuel, 
goes to Bethlehem. Notice Bethlehem, same place Jesus was born. This is the line of David where we get Jesus' line. It's where we get Mary and Joseph's line. <clears throat> and so he shows up at the house, walks in the door. There's this good-looking guy right off the page of GQ. Seriously. Huge shoulders. He's the eldest son, which in, in Jewish culture means he gets everything. Pretty well, he's the, he's the man. Everybody else kind of works for him. <clears throat> and so they start to anoint the guy. Let's go to the next verse, see what happens, what God told Samuel and Jesse. Because Jesse's all proud papa, right? He's got eight sons, but this is the man. He's a warrior for Saul. God says to Samuel, Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him, the first son. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Got it? This is the same big guy that could have gone up and volunteered to go against Goliath. He didn't. So they go to the next son, which is about the same size, and they keep going, 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 and pretty soon they run out of sons. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, Ooh, I don't know what to do. Don't you have any more kids? He says, yeah, I've got one more. He's out in the wilderness taking care of the goats and the sheep. He's kind of the runt of the litter. Well, go bring him in. And of course, that was David. And what does the what does scripture say in sixteen thirteen? If we can put it on the <clears throat> in fact, read this together with me. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David's got more than five rocks going for him, <laughs> right? Goliath should have been the one frightened. You and I got the same spirit indwelling in us. The same spirit. But what does the world see? What did everyone see? They saw a small child with five rocks and a stick. In fact, here's what Goliath said. Let's see if we can find... I know I'm testing those guys. Let's go to uh, Samuel 17, 43. Goliath shouts across the valley floor. Both armies are looking. You've got to believe that the, the Israelites are going, oh, Avi, oh my gosh. So they got a Chisai guy out there, no weaponry, nothing, no shield bearer. Nobody was, nobody volunteered to be a shield bearer. Nobody wanted a suicide mission, right? He's all alone. Got these other two guys. They're ready. They, this is easy because whoever won wins the battle. <clears throat> and so here's the Philistine says, "Am I a dog?" He roared at David, "That you come at me with a stick." And he cursed David by the name of his gods. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Don't taunt God. Now, if David had focused on his situation, David would have no hope. When you and I focus on our stuff, our ability, and our situation, tough, tough. That robs us of peace, of godly peace. But this kid was full of hope. God had his back. He is anointed by the Spirit of God. What does this kid say to this big warrior, seasoned warrior? It says, Scripture says, from youth he's been a warrior. This is in 1745. David said to the Philistines, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Pretty cool. 
And he did. And he did in a mighty way. As I said, the book of Psalms is 150 Psalms. If you dig into those, and you, you hear David's voice and heart. Let's just pull up Psalm 119.47. And it talks about why David was different in his relationship with Scripture. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. That's a person after God's heart. That's a person seeking God's direction, seeking the GPS to get on the right course and stay on the right course. You and I are on a life's journey when we go out that door. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. We're all going to face issues. Jesus told us this. There's, there's a body of scripture right in the middle in the book of John. <clears throat> Only five chapters. Scholars call it the Holy of Holies. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. If you haven't read much scripture and you want to read something, I timed it. Four minutes it takes you to read that chapter. One chapter. 20 minutes, 25 minutes tops if you invest in that scripture. And what's special about it is Jesus speaking to his disciples, beginning with the washing of the feet. At the end, he goes off to Gethsemane. It's, it's that Thursday night when he's in the upper room pouring his love and his instructions into his disciples. That night, he's going to be arrested. That next morning, he's going to be on the cross. This is the last words he spoke before he went to the cross. <clears throat> Hear his words in John 16, I've said these things to you, meaning scripture, God's word, that in me you may have what? Peace. peace, godly peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This word tribulation, if you dig into that word, it means, of course, trouble, stress. <clears throat> it literally means pressing a grape together, squeezing it. Many in this room have had that pressure, been in that situation. I'm sure you can stand here and give us your story. Briefly mine, my best friend, my best friend, my wife, and the mother of my young 8-year-old son and 12-year-old son died of breast cancer a few years ago. At the same time, I'd just been promoted the chief executive officer at First Hawaiian Bank, right at the beginning of the financial crisis. So I was facing, dealing with a single parent, which many of you have faced, a job that was tough, and I had a choice, right? I can look to the world for solutions, or I can look to God to take care of this tribulation. I began to, I'd never really invested in the word before. I can tell you not one day begun in my office, that fancy office, that I didn't open up in Scripture. And that got me through every day. God blessed my family and he blessed the bank because I invested in the Word. And I, gotta, I can tell you, I learned, like David did, to delight in his Word to this day. I enjoy Scripture. It's cool. It'll get you through the tribulation times. Let's take a look at eight words 
that when you, what's beautiful about scripture is no matter where you look on the 66 books, the books are written over 1,400 years by 40 different people in three different languages. It's really a library of 66 different books. But it's all authored by God. And it's all, we'll see in a moment, all profitable. All. And when you invest in it, you get a return. And if you look at, because it's really, it's, when you read scripture, it's not the scripture, you're in relationship and fellowship with God. You're connecting with God. You're, he's sharing his mana'o with you. You're, he stands at the door and knocks. You're opening the door, you're inviting him in, you're talking story with the creator of the universe. And he gave me, through his scripture, these eight words that got me through my season of tribulation. Psalms 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. That was my verses. You'll get your own. You can certainly borrow those. Because we all need to be still and know that I'm God. Your physical body needs nourishment and rest. Your spiritual body needs rest also. Be still and know that I'm God. In the book of Luke, there's a story of Martha and Mary, many of you know. Martha's all busy. She's a type A like me, getting stuff done. Mary's sitting, talking story to Jesus, just at his feet, listening. And she's complaining about sister not doing any work. What did Jesus say? The Lord told Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Be still and know that I am God. So church family, <clears throat> if you have the scripture, then you're going to know where you are and know where you're heading when you walk out that door. What happens when we say, God, I'm just too busy. Too busy. He tells us in Romans 12, 2. I think we've got that. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not take the path of the, the path of the world but be transformed, reinvest, renew, be transformed by the renewing, the restoration of your mind. Then you'll be able to see your plan, your purpose. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, God's will is. That's your purpose. Good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you get too busy, you will drift off course and miss the mark, miss the destination. <clears throat> but here's the problem I find with God. God is gracious. What does that mean? That means, I said earlier, he doesn't knock the door down and come into our lives. He knocks. We have free will to open it or say I'm too busy. We can open it. He shares his wisdom with us or we just keep the door closed because we're too busy. That's our choice. His free will. But I can tell you this, <clears throat> when you open the door and invest, not sacrifice time, but invest time with him, you get a return. You cannot outgive God. Cannot. In the last book of the Old Testament, the only place in all scripture he says, test me. When we reinvest with God, here's what he says. Test me in this. 
says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there is there will not be room enough in this to store it. Cool. I'm going to close. I know we're going to lunch <clears throat> with two verses. And I'm on every Wednesday we we get into the word and you are more than welcome to be here. If there's any time we can just talk and share scripture together before or after that class on Wednesday nights, hey, como mai. You're, you're welcome. The, but here's what we do. Let me kind of walk you through what we do on those Wednesday nights. So if you've never been in a Bible study, then you've been one today for the next five minutes. <clears throat> and you can check it off your bucket list. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 and kind of take it apart. First, background, right? <clears throat> you got Pastor Paul, Apostle Paul. Apostle means that you've been anointed, you've been directed by Jesus himself, by God himself. So Paul is writing a letter, an epistle, to this guy named Timothy. Pretty rare, because most letters are to churches, but this is to a guy. In fact, they're called pastoral letters, because Second Timothy, First Timothy, and Titus were pastors. And so Paul's writing a letter. Well, it's kind of important to know, Paul is literally in Rome, he's in chains, and in a few weeks from then, He's going to be murdered by Emperor Nero. This is the last letter we have. He's writing to his adopted son, Timothy. They've been together for 15 years. He loves Timothy. Timothy's an interesting guy. Timothy's Hapa, like my kids. He's half Greek and half Jewish. He's been taught the word of God by his mother and his grandmother. So should women teach? I think so. (laughs) Because he was certainly taught by mom and grandmother. And, and he was well prepared, but he wasn't confident. He didn't have David's confidence. He'd been assigned to pastor a church, and there's big issues in this church. And he was, not, he was a little shaky. So Paul is pouring into Timothy, first telling him to teach sound doctrine, and then he gives him these two verses. And really, of course, it's God speaking to Timothy and God speaking to us. He begins all Scripture, so with 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. And is profitable, there's the banker loves that word, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now in the Greek, if you take it apart, that word all, guess what it means? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all 66 books are profitable. You can't pick, pick and choose. They're all of value to you and me. Why? Because they come from God, a loving God. <clears throat> this word, this inspiration, or God breathed, same word as I said, we have for ha, when Hawaiians meet and touch foreheads and breathe in the spirit, is, is the uh, breath of life. It's exactly in, in Genesis 2 7, when God reaches down, pulls up dirt, calls it dust, which is actually carbon, which is scientifically kind of interesting, and he breathes into the carbon because we're mostly carbon beings. But what's special about us, we have life. It's the breath of life that creates life. That's the same word. Same word he talks about when he breathes into the dry bones. So, as I said earlier, the word of God comes from God. God is the author. It's breathed into existence. And if we use that scripture and begin to invest in it. I love the old adage that says, show me a life, show me a, a Bible that's falling apart 
and I'll show you a life that isn't. <laughs> right? There's someone that's invested in Scripture. So, so we know Scripture is, comes from God, all of it, right? It's inspired by Him. In fact, Corinthians says, words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So that second fill-in-the-blank, we can go there. All Scripture, there we go, all Scripture is God's handiwork. It is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching God's truth. So if we, you and I invest in Scripture, we'll get that guaranteed return. And it's a, it's a practical book. I mean, all Scripture, the foremost primary goal of Scripture, all 66 books, is to point to Christ Jesus, which leads us to salvation. But God doesn't leave us there. Once we're saved, he's got an instruction book on how to do life. Marriage, career, relationships, money. It's a practical how to do life. Then the second stage and the last stage of Scripture is this GPS system. Reproof, correcting, training. When you read Scripture, it's uncomfortable. Oftentimes, one of the reasons we avoid it, because it rebukes us or reproofs us. What that is is, is a, in the Jewish tradition is in a courtroom when the evidence is so overwhelming, it creates truth. In other words, what happens when we read Scripture, God will put a light on a dark place. He will search us out and find that place that needs correction. When we're on the wrong course, he'll identify the fact that you're on the wrong course. He'll chip away at us to build our character, to be more like him. Hebrews 4.11 says, in this slide, if we could pull it up, just listen to God's words in Hebrews 4.11. For the word of God is living, that's that breath of life, and active, It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, which is where all of our activity comes from. What's written on a heart determines our behavior, who we become. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. I have two boys. More often than not, they're on the wrong course. As a loving father, I rebuke them and try to get them back on course. Why? Because I'm just nagging, etc.? No, because I love them. I don't want them in harm's way. That's what God does to us in that rebuking. Revelation says, God rebukes those he loves. Welcome rebuking is good for the soul. Next, he does, he, but he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't seem to say, you're on the wrong course, you're bad. I don't, quote, love you. Never says that. You're on the wrong course, and I'm telling you because I love you, and I'm going to give you a correction, of course. You look up the heavens, get your fix, your plot, because you're off course, you're going to miss your mark. You need to turn course X and go this way because that's the course I set for you when you're in your mother's womb, before you're knitted in your mother's womb, he said. That's the GPS. He tells us we're in the wrong place, and he moves us to a place we need to be. That's correction. The Greek literally means to set straight. Then lastly, training in righteousness. And this is the most beautiful. This comes from the word nurture. 
as a, just like a child, we begin with, with milk and then we go to solid food. Over time, God teaches us in righteousness. In other words, he doesn't simply say, this is, you're in the wrong course, correct this course, step back, and good luck, you're on your own. He nurtures us along that course. He stays with us side by side, our hand in his hand. He walks that path. He provides that light in front of us. So we stay on course. That's the nurturing. <clears throat> There's a big word, pardon me, nerdy, called sanctification. Sanctification is simply meaning growing more like God over time, spiritual maturity. I can tell you a problem with that, though. As you move along that journey, getting deeper and deeper into God's Word and understanding God a little bit more, then the more profound and the more holy He becomes and the more we see ourselves and the more humble we get. Because when we get closer to Him, the more we can see all the faults of us. It's kind of cool, but we know He loves us. So that's the training in righteousness. I'm going to close with this verse, two more verses. Because 17 says, sums it up, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly, completely equipped for every good work. That's the purpose of Scripture, to prepare us to do our purpose, to prepare us to do God's mission for us. Let me close with Joshua 1, uh, chapter 1, 8 and 9. And please, family, know this. This is not from Uncle Don. I'm not here to put a guilt trip on you or to admonish you or, or um, I'm here to simply encourage. But listen, this is to you and to me. God is telling us, study this book of instruction, scripture, continually. Meditate on it day and night. I mean, write it on your heart so it's always there when you need it. So that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then, Only then, only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is from God. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. God bless you. Aloha. Thank you.